You're listening to Dr. Ward Bond's Life-Changing Wellness, the fastest-growing natural health, nutrition, and inspiration podcast in the nation. Uplifting stories, powerful messages, and triumph over adversity, the experience of entertainment and encouragement is about to begin. And now your host, Dr. Ward Bond. Our guest today is Jeffrey Smith, founder and executive director of the Institutes of Responsible Technology and Protect Nature Now. As leading spokesperson on GMO health dangers, Jeffrey Smith authored two global bestsellers, directed five films, delivered a thousand lectures and a thousand interviews in 45 countries, trained 1,500 speakers, and organized over 10,000 grassroots advocates. Now, Jeffrey Smith was the architect of the successful plan to achieve the tipping point of consumer rejection of genetically engineered foods. His work has influenced the behavior and health of millions of people worldwide. He is now sounding the alarm about the grave, even irreversible hazards from new genetic engineering techniques, which can lead to health and environmental catastrophes. Jeffrey Smith leads the Global Protect Nature Now Coalition, urging governments to stop the releases of all genetically engineered microbes. So ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome trailblazer Jeffrey Smith to the show. Welcome. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Well, what inspired you to create this amazing short award-winning film, Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle? Well, the new genetic engineering techniques that people know as gene editing or CRISPR are so cheap and easy now, you can get a do-it-yourself kit on Amazon for less than $200. For $1,000, you can have your home lab where you can create new genetically modified organisms every day for basically the price of dinner. Now, the most dangerous kingdoms to genetically engineer are actually the smallest, the microbes. Together, they have a microbial ecology called the microbiome, and the microbiome is life critical. Life critical for humans, life critical for soil, life critical for the ecology. And as you saw in the film, if we tamper with the gene pool of microbes, they can travel in unpredictable ways, they can mutate in unpredictable ways, they can transfer genes to other microbes in unpredictable ways. And we don't yet know enough about the microbiome to be able to predict what they will do. On top of that, you're using genetic engineering where the number one most common result is surprise side effects. Put them all together and it's a recipe for a potential cataclysm. As you saw, there were some examples there that really raised eyebrows that could have changed life on earth had the genetically injured microbes been released as planned. And what I noticed in the film was that not just, um, I mean, technically with what I saw, the two examples that you gave in the film, and both of them have dire consequences if they were to get out. And one of them, which I found very surprising, would literally kill all plant life on the planet, basically killing out mankind and I found it really interesting that it was a PhD um, thesis writing college student that was working on a lab project and two weeks prior of the release of 
what science thought was going to be a positive thing for farmers ended up being something that would have killed us all. Well, let's just temper that slightly because, first of all, you're right. It could have potentially, theoretically taken out. Not all plant life on Earth. I, I was discussing this with the PhD, uh, the PhD's uh, advisor, Professor Elaine Ingham, and she said, oh, no, no, just terrestrial plants. You'd still have aquatic systems. Oh, great. So just all of the all of the land based plants. But to put it in perspective, there were a number of ifs that had to be achieved if it's spread around the world. And we know that genetically engineered bacteria can do that if it displaced its natural counterpart. Its natural counterpart is on all roots in every terrestrial soil system on the planet. And it's, it's it, the genetically engineered version creates alcohol, which could kill the natural version, allowing this one to out survive and to displace it. So that if had to actually happen, and it wouldn't, it has to also not mutate, so it would become impotent. But all of these things were very possible. And so it's like, as I said in the film, we don't know for sure if it would have actually ended terrestrial plant life, but we don't want to find out. <laughs> right. Well, let me ask you something because you're talking about, and I'm going to kind of step back a bit. Um, you mentioned all of these uh, kits that are, that are being sold on Amazon. It sounds like to me that somebody could buy one of these kits and, you know, you know, there's a lot of people interested in science and they could use these things that, uh, for their own education and knowledge. But does it also kind of open up the door for bioterrorism? Oh yeah. But you wouldn't do bioterrorism with a $169 Amazon do it yourself kit because they have very specific bacteria. They give you very specific changes and they, their bacteria probably doesn't survive in the soil and certainly doesn't wipe out humanity. Um, however, you can get a rudimentary lab from, let's say, $2,000, maybe $1,000, depending on how well you shop. And then for price of dinner, you can get mail order things sent to you, which will allow you to do CRISPR gene editing. Now, the price of gene editing is going to go down. The capacity is going to go up. But already, the National Security Council, the Homeland Security, the Pentagon, they're all concerned about the fact that gene editing is now accessible. And it's both intentional and accidental. So in the case of the example in the film, well, one of the, actually there was, we talked about a potentially pandemic pathogen, a virus that could, was as much as 24 times more deadly than the current, which was made airborne by genetic engineers. What a smart idea with over a thousand recorded accidents in, in high secure bio labs. Let's just create a airborne version of one of the most deadly pathogens we can think of that kills more than half the people that it infects. It's like, maybe we shouldn't do that and tempt fate. But the one that seemed to be okay was let's create bacteria 
that farmers can use instead of burning the crop stubble. They can rake it up, put it in big barrels with the bacteria in two weeks, turn it into alcohol, run their tractor, sell it off farm as profit, and use the nutrient-rich sludge at the bottom to make fertilizer and spread it in their fields. It was a good idea if you didn't understand systems. It's like when you think about biology, it's not rocket science, it's way more complicated. So if you, what they did not realize that this graduate student happened to do his research in order to get his PhD, it was never required. The EPA had already passed all the approvals for this alcohol producing bacterium. They did not realize that the nutrient rich sludge, if it had been spread on the fields, it could have basically turned all of the roots of all of the plants on the field into alcohol, killing them all. And as Dr. Elaine Ingham, who was interviewed said, there was some whistleblowers from the EPA. She had spoken at the UN, she raised the alarm, and some people at the EPA decided to confide in her something that they thought they needed to get out because the EPA was hush-hush about it. And that is, they already did an experiment to see how far genetically engineered bacteria would travel and eventually it traveled around the world. So two weeks after this graduate student had discovered this problem was the planned release to see how far this genetically engineered bacterium would spread. And so imagine for a moment that they had gone ahead with that and it spread around the world. Or imagine that they just started shipping it to farms. And, you know, all of a sudden, farmers started having problems and calling in and wondering what it was, not necessarily relating it to the fact that they had spread some nutrient-rich sludge, because it took about a week to kill the little wheat uh, sprouts in this graduate student's research. So now all of a sudden you have a problem and then it's unknown and then someone puts it together. And by that time, you've now released it on maybe hundreds or thousands of farms and then it goes around the world much more quickly. So this is, this is the example that's there. We didn't even talk about the one that could change weather patterns. See, that <laughs> was the one that really shocked me because, you know, if you really broke it down and you listen to people who love conspiracy theories, you know, they always talk about weather being manipulated by man. And when I saw your film, that was really the first time that I really took it as, oh my gosh, this can actually be done, but not in a way we would have expected. It was another bacteria that was going to create a change in a weather system. That to me is so, it's almost unbelievable, but you explained it in the film to where I'm like, oh my gosh. I mean, you know, God said he'd never flood the earth again, but it looked like man has the opportunity to do that on his own. And I don't want to do a plot spoiling of everything. It's only a 16 minute <laughs> oh. film. So at protectnaturenow.com, people can watch it for free. Um, but what what's it, and I love the fact that we're just dangling that weather changing thing. So, so yeah, yeah, you'll find the answer when you go. But here's the thing. Those are, those are microbes where if they did 
what they were intended to, to do, they could have wreaked havoc. But there's other things that could go wrong because of the mutations, the swapping genetic material. But I want to I want to dial it back even further and talk about the microbiome. It's a big deal right now. Yeah. And I'll do it in about a, a minute and a half. And it's like all of a sudden, this kingdom, these kingdoms of bacteria and viruses and other things that we don't even have never heard of, all of a sudden they loom large, like the micro Jedi army that's working on our behalf that we never see. So we off we offload, we assign about 90% of our metabolic daily functions to the microbes living inside us. In fact, we can become higher organisms with only 22,000 genes in our cells because we use the 3.5 million genes in the microbes living inside us. These guys co-evolved with us and they're so intelligent. For example, second trimester, all of these milk digesting bacteria travel to the birth canal. Why? Because it inoculates the baby so the baby can drink and digest mother's milk. But the mother's milk, a significant portion of it is completely undigestible by the baby. Not because it's an accident, it's designed to feed the gut microbiome in the large intestine because if that becomes properly nourished and established early on, the health of that child is better for the rest of his or her life and can even be passed on to future generations. It gets even more complicated and more intricate and more amazing that the, the biological needs of that child, of that baby, are expressed in the saliva microbiome, which then gets passed to the mother during breastfeeding. And now that changes what the nutrient and, and microbiome mix is of the breastfeed breast milk when there's in the in when we're older if there's a breast tumor certain bacteria go into the breast to contain it when there's alzheimer's certain fungus go to the brain to help when you reduce the microbiome of the brain according to one person i recently interviewed the iq goes down what is it about these critters it is so it is like the programming there's programming here in these microbes you take one person's microbiome and you put it into another person, you can transfer health or disease, thinness or overweight, emotional changes. The microbiome can train us to act in certain ways. Maybe it wants different um, socializing so it can pick up more microbes. So it creates certain micro, certain uh, and, uh, neurotransmitters that makes us social. And when we do what it wants, it can create the reward center to, to, to click in so that it's training us to support it. It can desire, it can make us desire sugar or a cupcake because it needs it. We work together in a way that scientists are just understanding, but most of it remains outside of what we have yet discovered. And now is the time where we have the ability to destroy it all. Now is the time where if we don't rein it in between high school projects and corporate robots driven by AI doing genetic engineering, we may release a million different genetically engineered microbes in this generation. They can change the nature of nature, cause human sickness, cause damage in the soil, damage in the ecosystems, damage in the atmosphere in ways that we can't even track or understand or predict, and it could be irreversible.
that has that is why that's the answer to, to your question 20 minutes ago why did i create the film because i need people to realize what's at stake this is an existential threat this is on the level of the greatest existential threat it's like it's it's on the level of whether you're into climate change or into oceans and into acid whatever it is this is on that level and yet hardly anyone knows about it so i had to create this fast play this alarm bell going off so people watch and go oh i need to pay attention yeah because see you know we just you know even though we talk about uh, my, uh microbiome and really the the discussion of that really just barely started five years ago you know we've talked about probiotic we talked about gut health and good flora and bad flora but there is so much more to it i mean when i was watching the uh the film uh you had you had a doctor there um karam uh krishnan and i had interviewed him a few years ago uh, very, very smart in the areas of probiotic health and gut health. But you really bring something up that, you know, even your film, even though it's titled Don't Let the Gene Out of the Bottle, the discussions with you now is even opening up a Pandora's box of even, even more ideas, topics, information that we have got to continue to research deeper and deeper because if a company created this bacteria to help farmers. So it was just to kind of help until this graduate student found out, oh my gosh, you could end up killing all land plants. I mean, this bacteria was going to be released, you know, quickly after that. But thank goodness that had stopped at that point. But now we're focused, you know, with a microbiome in the human. And you mentioned the brain. And a lot of people still don't understand the connection between gut health, the vagus nerve, and the brain, and then it goes from there. Now we have people, and I, I don't really want to, I hate to bring this up, but we can touch on it lightly. So now we live in a society where some people got vaxxed, some people don't want to be and will not be, and, but what is going on in the microbiome in, in both sides of the coin here? Because now we don't know where this is going to go. When I heard about the vax being approved and put out into the public within nine months, I'm thinking, people, didn't you realize it took over 25 years for the polio vaccine to get approved? And then the Pan American Health Organization didn't really say it worked until 1994. Well, you know, let me, let me um, address one thing about how there's a bright spot or a silver lining in this pandemic with relationship to this existential threat. There's actually a couple of them. First of all, now everyone is aware that microbes can travel the world and mutate. Everyone is acutely aware that that which is unseen can wreak havoc around the globe. So our job to convey that information has become so much easier. I didn't think that Washington DC would pay much attention to this, but when you go to Protect Nature now and you watch the film, you can go to the advocacy platform and send messages to all of your elected officials and media, and they are paying attention. They are responding. They wanna meet with us. They wanna find out how to protect. So 
One of the things is that we have learned about the microbial abilities to wreak havoc, and that has caused a will to do something about it. Second, we have two actual goals of Protect Nature now. One is to stop the outdoor release of any genetically engineered microbe because of the unpredicted nature, the long-term irreversible consequences, and the absolute fundamental nature of the microbiome. But we have an indoor requirement as well. The indoor requirement is no enhancement. It's called gain of function. No enhancement of pathogens, which if they were to escape accidentally, could create another pandemic. Now, that is now should be, and I think it is, a very popular demand by humanity at this point. It's like, okay, let's not, let's not tempt fate. Let's lock it down. And so it turns out these are both lessons from this time period. We don't have to look at the, 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 the treatments or the prevention piece, which can get divisive quickly, and there's jumps into unknowns quickly. We can just look at what the silver lining is about this and say, there is a unmet need of humanity to try and prevent this from happening in the future and to implement the lessons the lessons learned from this time. And so it turns out that launching Protect Nature Now during the pandemic was amazing timing. We actually had to rewrite the film, which was pretty much done before the pandemic. And then we just created a pandemic lead on it. And now, and now people, I think, connect with it better than ever. And I think it has, it's getting legs and we're going to be able to implement. We need, we still need monetary support. So when people watch the film, go to the advocacy platform, they can also go to the donations page and do a recurring monthly donation so we can know what's coming in and hire the new people and create more assets and open offices around the world because it's not like stopping it release in the US is going to protect the world. This right. is, I mean, we have one ecosystem called planet Earth and we know that microbes go all, all around it. So we have a big job both in making laws and in global education. Now, where are some of these places that genetically modified organisms are being released? How are they getting out? Well, one of the areas, well, the organisms means all different things. We have crops and animals. Um, there's a company that's released genetically engineered mosquitoes in Florida. Now they wanna release them in California. So we have a little campaign up to try and stop that. Uh, there's a group that's genetically engineering salmon, which will be on the market soon in the United States. But from the microbe standpoint, there's Join Bio and Pivot Bio. These are companies, biotech companies that want to create probiotics for the soil. Sounds like a good idea, but you make a change and you could end up affecting the gut microbiome of people around the world. Now, it's interesting when you think about using genetically engineered microbes to improve agriculture. One area that is a natural fit for Protect Nature Now is called regenerative agriculture, which uses the biology of the soil to improve the ecosystem, to draw down carbon, to improve profits at the farm, to reduce the amount of chemicals, maybe eliminate them altogether. And so no need for insecticides and herbicides and fungicides, creates natural fertility, holds more water, et cetera, et cetera, using the biology. Now, 
I'm I'm going to DC talking about giving a, a national press club briefing with experts about this regenerative agriculture. And it turns out that regenerative agriculture hands off all the heavy lifting to the microbes, to the soil microbiome. The promise of regenerative agriculture is it could literally, if we implement enough acres, draw down 100% of all of the carbon emitted every year. So the amount of carbon would not go up. If we reduced carbon emissions, the amount of atmospheric carbon could go down and to pre-industrial levels. So this is a promise that many people believe is a way of basically saving the planet. But it all depends on the microbiome. And what are we doing with the microbiome? We're allowing Monsanto, purchased by Bayer, created a, uh, a joint venture with others to release genetically engineered probiotics in the soil. And they have no idea what happens if those genes transfer to those that do the heavy lifting for regenerative agriculture. They may destroy the ability to stop carbon drawdown. They may destroy the ability for human gut bacteria to do whatever it's supposed to do. So we need to stop these in place right away. And if we don't, there's going to be dozens and hundreds and potentially thousands of products put out there to remediate the soil or change this, etc. Yeah, you know, I know that in your film, and I don't want to give everything away, but, you know, it was talked about to where, you know, taking that substance that turned plants into alcohol to help fuel the farmer's tractors and machinery. And here's the graduate student that just did a very small lab study with it. And which to me is a lesson learned. So I know that researchers would like to take these uh, microbiome, the, the bacteria, and do a large scale study. Maybe they'll go out and say, hey, let's uh, take this acre of land and put all these microbes in there, in there. Is there a way to do this in a safer manner so if things do go wrong, it just doesn't spread worldwide? Well, containment is important. Um, to some degree, there's no guarantee. Um, and we're faced with some level of, of risk. So there are genetically engineered bacteria and yeast that are used in factories to produce proteins for food, for medicine, for industry. And if the genetically engineered yeast or bacteria were to escape, if it weren't killed off properly, that's an environmental release. So it's designed to be indoors, it's designed to be contained, but it can get out some way, earthquake, accident, human error, etc. But when you ask, how can we test a genetically engineered microbe to see if it works well before release, I would say right now we don't have enough information to justify a release even after a contained field trial. And that's because there's about a trillion different types of microbes. And we have characterized a small percentage of them. Mm -hmm. We don't understand the complexity, but we're kind of blown away in awe by what we do know. When you release a, a GMO, first of all, there's massive collateral damage in the DNA that can result from the process of genetic engineering. Even this new well-touted gene editing is fraught with unpredicted side effects. 
I'm creating another film about that right now. And so there's all these different things that can happen that you didn't intend. Even if you got what you intended, you still don't know if it's going to mutate, if it's going to end up changing, if part of it's going to transfer. Once it transfers, it can go into hundreds or thousands of microbes with if they maybe end up being in the gut or in the atmosphere. But even if it doesn't, even if it, and this is just a complete hypothetical thing, even if it does exactly what you want, if the genetic engineering was successful and you've gotten what it produces, now you end up with that on-farm thing creating alcohol. It's doing exactly what you intended it to do, and it could cause a cataclysm. Well, then let me ask you this. Can GMO research create new pandemics? Oh, of course. This is why we are trying to stop gain of function. Because gain of function, so the justification for genetic engineers to take pathogens and enhance them. So you take something that creates a, a flu symptoms, a, like a vi flu virus. They will increase its ability to spread or they'll increase its impact once the infection takes place. So the H5N1 avian flu, very hard to get infection from, very hard. You have to hang around birds a long time, right? And those that hung around birds a long time, only, there's been less than a thousand recorded cases in history, but 52% of those die. So the death rate is off the charts they created a genetically engineered version of it that transfers through the air. Why? Now, the, ju the justification, <laughs> I know, it's like, blah, 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 what? Um, <laughs> the, the justification is, one, if we know which genetic mutations are required to make it so dangerous, we can have surveillance in the field to see if anything is getting close. That's the excuse they've used for years. They've never stopped. They've never had a successful surveillance system to find something. It's just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work. It's not practical at this point. The next justification is if we understand what could evolve naturally and we understand how bad it is, we can create vaccines. So far, the gain of function research has not produced a single vaccine. It turns out there are other ways to figure out cures and prevention and other ways to enhance surveillance and protection that don't require you creating a pandemic pathogen. And that's what we are saying should be done. Rather than genetically engineering a pathogen to be enhanced so that if escaped, it can wreak havoc, there's other research that has been underfunded that you can put your attention on Let's lock down. When the H5N1 was discovered to be, when it was broadly announced, two different teams of genetic engineers made it airborne. It sent a shudder through the scientific world. And in 2014, gain-of-function research was banned in the U.S. That was lifted in 2017. We want it banned around the world, and we think that the pandemic is the the proper orientation to that demand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, you know, I think even with what we have gone through with the pandemic, 
the research that's going to be birthed from that's going to last for the next 100 years, uh, especially when, you know, we clear out all the conspiracy theories and just get right down to the research and work with that. And Jeffrey, I literally could talk to you forever because this subject is so vast. It's so huge, but even more important, where can people learn more about the work you're doing with Protect Nature Now and how can they donate? Thank you very much. ProtectNatureNow.com, simple, three steps. Watch the film, it's right there. As soon as you go there, the left side is the film. 16 minutes, it's not gonna take, if you're busy, there's gonna be subtitles jumping out at you to grab your attention. We designed it as a fast paced thing so that it's over before you know it, but it raises the alarm. And you'll wanna do something and that's good because we have something for you to do. Two things, first, get the word out. Every single month, we load our advocacy platform with different educational materials for your elected officials, your local media. Because when you enter your address, you end up seeing, oh yeah, that's our senator, that's our congressperson, that's our state assemblyman, etc. Single click or customize the message, either way, it goes out to them. Then next, media. Oh, there's my city's paper, great. Send them a press release. Maybe you want to customize, I read your paper, I want you to see this. It goes to them. Maybe you want to tweet members of Congress. Boom, right there, all done. In two or three minutes, you've just done 25 or 30 actions and it works. It works. I want to say it works. It's not like signing a petition and waiting around for nothing. It actually works because people are reading it. We've talked to, you know, ch uh, chiefs of staff that says, wow, we're getting a lot of, what is this? We're going to Washington. We're having meetings. Then, last thing, well, two more things. Go to the donate page and try and figure out a number where you want to give each month automatically. You have to think about it. Why each month? Because then we know the money's coming and we can hire that next staff person, pay for that next film, open an office in this country, et cetera, et cetera. And so we need a lot of money right now as we're growing a new movement. And then the final thing is share this interview. If it inspired you to go to Protect Nature Now, then it can inspire someone else to go to Protect Nature Now. So share what you know and be a leader because we cannot rely on governments for protecting us, for being the ones that step up to speak on behalf of nature. We've arrived at the inevitable time in human civilization where we can easily redirect the streams of evolution for all time, irreversibly. And That's we've right. arrived at a time where we understand with awe and reverence what is at stake. So we can put it together and we can be the leaders and the we can be give voice to the kingdoms that can't speak and work on their behalf. Jeffrey, and you said that just as perfect, perfect as can be. Even just yesterday, I took your film and I posted it on my Facebook page because I want people to watch it and learn. I, you know, I can take the same link. I can tweet it out, put it on Telegram, put it on Instagram. People, we know what's going on in the world today. Your voice still matters and your voice still holds a lot of power and a lot of weight. But here's what we have to do. We have to work together as a group. Jeffrey Smith is a perfect example of getting 10,000 people 
10,000 grassroots advocates to work together. If we all work together, we're going to get the attention of every chemical company on the planet, all of our government leaders from the local level to the federal level, and just inundate them with this video and this information. And of course, when you watch the videos, Jeffrey said, it's only 16 minutes. I've watched it. I was blown away. I, the moment I finished watching it, I went out and I started telling people, I said, you got to see this thing. You're not going to believe what, what they've come up with, what they have found. And this, and the information is true. So if people think you're going to be wearing a tin hat, who cares? Get the word out. ProtectNatureNow.com. This is vital for all of us today, five years from now, 50 years from now, future generations. We have to do the work right now so planet Earth not just survives, but the human population survives. The plant life survives. The animal kingdom survives. Everything has to do with microbiome. And Jeffrey, do not be a stranger to this show because <laughs> I got to have you back because you are bringing forth the information that changes mankind for the better because we need to know these things. So you are always welcome back to the show. I will take you up on that. I would love to return. And uh, when I come back from DC, I'll have good news from there. So we'll get together again. Hey, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jeffrey. And again, ladies and gentlemen, on the bottom of the screen, you want to go to protectnaturenow.com. Watch the film. You'll be moved. And again, just like Jeffrey said, just a donation every month will make a huge difference in your life and everyone you know. Just think about, you, you're even helping your neighbors and you don't even know it. That's how important this is. So ladies and gentlemen, again, go to protectnaturenow.com and we will be right back after these messages. Are your sinuses sensitive to everything? Do you suffer with seasonal allergies? Primrose Leaf's Breathe Q Plus supports sinus and respiratory health, balance the immune system in hypersensitive individuals, promotes normal mucous membrane function, and clears nasal passages naturally. Primrose Leaf's Breathe Q Plus. Call them today, 844-926-0007, or go to primroseleaf.com. Call 844-926-0007. It's time for you to breathe easy.